All right, if you'll stand, grab your Bibles and stand as we prepare for our scripture reading and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 8 through 21 as our text for, for today. Ephesians 5, 8 through 21, as Pastor Bruce continues in the series, Love, Sex, and Marriage. In today's sermon, there's a better way to do relationships. And we find our text, Ephesians 5, 8 through 21. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for for your word and uh, a guidebook of a better way to do relationships and and, and in a relationship that starts uh, with you as the foundation. Open our hearts and minds to learn what you would have us to, to learn this morning and be with Pastor Bruce as he brings the message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Zach, for leading us in our scripture reading. I always appreciate that. And I always appreciate the opportunity for us as a church body to, uh, to actually read God's Word. And uh, we want to renew our minds with the Word of God. Uh, God's Word is truth to us as Christ followers. And, uh, and we want to renew our mind, counter the culture's message, especially in the area of love, sex, and marriage. And, uh, and that's the series we've been in for the last three weeks. We're obviously continuing that series. In fact, today is right in the middle of the series. Uh, this is message number four. We'll have three more sermons after this, and so we're at the halfway point. I'm glad you're here this morning as we continue looking at God's Word in Ephesians chapter 5 and what He has to say to us on this relevant, practical topic that consumes our lives Love, sex, and marriage. It's funny what kids think about love and marriage, isn't it? Maybe not. It is. It's funny. Listen to this. When asked why people fall in love, nine-year-old May said, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with the way you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Carrie, age seven, said, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) And when asked what falling in love is like, nine-year-old Bart commented, it's like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. (laughs) And when asked what do most people do on a date, Martin, age 10, said, well, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. (laughs) And that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. Wow, that's right. Yeah, wow. And when asked, how do you decide, how do you decide who to marry? Ten-year-old Kristen replied, 
Well, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you just find out later who you're stuck with. So I don't know where you are in your marriage. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, yeah, I'm stuck with that right there beside me. Uh, If that's you, don't raise your hand and and certainly don't poke your your spouse there. But have you ever been in a relationship where you found yourself thinking, man, there's got to be a better way to do relationships. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than what our culture puts out there. Because when I look at the culture in relationships with my friends, my family, my coworkers, neighbors, this ain't working too well for them. And maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself asking that question now, or maybe you've thought it in the past. Man, there's got to be a better way to do relationships. You know, many single people have thought this as they bounce from one relationship to the next. Many married people have even thought this in their current marriage. And what we've seen in the last three weeks is there really is a better way to do relationships, and that better way is, listen, it's God's way. The better way is God's way. God has graciously given us His plan We could say his model, his design for experiencing genuine love, great sex, and lasting, loving relationships. And what we've learned is that there are certain behaviors that will enhance our relationships, such as what Paul has identified for us. He says walking in love and then walking in the light. We've also learned, though, that there are certain behaviors that will destroy our relationships such as sexual immorality, impurity, sexual greed or covetousness. And this is why Paul writes to us in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, hey, listen, as a Christ follower, as one who's a dearly beloved child of God, who's been radically transformed by the light of God, he says, listen, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The unfruitful works of darkness. You're like, what, what is that? Well, in that phrase there, Paul, in the context in which we've looked at in Ephesians 5, it's referring to the sexual behavior outside of God's boundaries, in which he created sex to flourish. And of course, that boundary is what? What relationship? It's the marriage relationship. And so God now forbids us, as his children, from having any, quote, fellowship in these activities. Meaning, don't participate in them, don't be connected with or associated with this way of life. Why? Because it doesn't work. And we don't have to look very far to understand, you know what, yeah, God's right, it doesn't work. That's why I'm asking myself the question, there's got to be a better way. Isn't there a better way? And the answer is yes, the better way is God's way. And so now God comes to us in his love for you and in his grace upon us as his children. He comes to us and he invites us to, if I can say it this way, because Paul uses these words, he invites us to wake up and do relationships 
his way when Paul writes in verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So look at this. Here is God's invitation for each one of us this morning to lasting, loving relationships. And his invitation is simply to wake up to the reality, to the truth, to the better way. Wake up to God's way when it comes to love, sex, and marriage or relationships. This is our invitation from God to wake up and live in the light of God's truth. But it requires, if I can say this, it requires a revolution. It requires even a rebellion. And I say the word rebellion in a good way. A rebellion from our culture. It requires that. A willingness to do relationships God's way. A way that produces intimacy and not guilt. A way that's built on love and not lust. A way that results in loving, lasting relationships. The world needs to see this kind of revolution among God's people. Among us here as a church body. And God's invitation is to make a radical difference by walking in love and walking in the light. So how do we do that? How is that accomplished? Well, we've got to answer God's wake-up call. God is knocking on the door. The alarm is going off, if you will. And we're going to have a choice. We can either hit the snooze button or we can arise. We can answer the wake-up call and begin to live a new way, a different way, in this new and different way. Listen, it is, for many of us, is different from our past. Just like it was for the Ephesians, as we're going to find out. From what they were saved from. And many of you, you have testimonies of how God's radically changed your life. He saved you from your past and the destruction of your past. A past that maybe you're not so proud of. But that was before you came to know Christ. And so you were simply living out normally what a person lives out as an unbeliever. But now God's done something in us. We've been born again. There's a radical difference. The light has gone off, literally, in a sense, that we have been saved by the light of God. We've been saved out of darkness. And so now we have this opportunity to live a different way, a new way, in which to experience the fullness and the satisfaction of the kind of relationships that God meant for us to have from the very beginning. But it takes a revolution, a rebellion against the culture's message, the culture's way of doing relationships. Are you ready for that? Answering God's wake-up call is going to mean three things for us this morning. It's going to mean walking in wisdom. It's going to mean walking in the Spirit. And it's going to mean walking in purity. Walking. All three are connected to our walk in our new life in Christ. Let's look at the first one. Walk in wisdom. Number one, walk in wisdom, a new way to think about sexuality. God's wake-up call to lasting, loving relationships begins with our thinking. Look what Paul writes in verses 15 through 17. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That word just means diligently or carefully. Walk carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So these verses call us to to use our minds in careful thought, to walk carefully when it comes to love, sex, and relationships, to understand what the Lord's will is in this crucial area of our lives. Why? Because such a lifestyle stands in contrast to that of the fool. The fool whose thinking is futile, Paul says earlier in Ephesians chapter 4. His understanding is darkened. Why? Because the light, he hasn't been saved by the light of God. And so his understanding is futile, his, his, it's darkened, and he's just living out normally what unbelievers do. They give themselves over to sensuality and sexual immorality. And listen, that is our culture, and we shouldn't be shocked by that. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But that is our past. We've been saved. And so now Paul tells us, listen, now live carefully or walk in wisdom. Understand what the Lord's will is. Because, listen, we have to live differently than the culture here. As children of light, wisdom is now to guide our lives. But unfortunately, let's be honest, we live in a world in which thinking through the implications of one's choices is really a rare phenomenon. And even for us as believers, too many of us have been duped into thinking that God's view on sex in particular is irrelevant in this 21st century. It doesn't matter. But nothing could be further from the truth. So here's the question. Where then do we find wisdom? Well, first, what is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's seeing life from God's perspective, understanding that perspective, and then living it out, doing it. Wisdom is then, we could say, it's knowing God's will about something, an area of life, and then living out that will. So what is then God's will on the area of sexuality? What does God have to say about it? He is not silent on this. Well, let's look at it. Three things in particular. Wisdom is found in knowing and doing God's will. So what is God's will when it comes to sex? First of all, sex is a special gift. And this special gift from God is reserved for marriage. Hebrews 13 Verse 4 states, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God's will about sex doesn't get any clearer than this beautiful picture that God gives to us here, along with a stern warning. Sex is pictured, sex pictured by the marriage bed should be honored and kept pure, the writer of Hebrews says. Why? Because the marriage relationship is to be set apart and it's to be kept undefiled. Now imagine thinking about sex in this way. This kind of mindset would mean that sex is never treated as common. It's never treated as something that's just casual. Instead, it's treated with respect. It's valued. At its most intimate, sex is, quote, knowing someone. It's not just lying with them. It's not just sleeping together. In fact, you could go all the way back to the Genesis in creation there when God created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, when they began to explore their sexuality, the Bible uses this phrase and it says, Adam 
knew Eve. That word know there, or knew, is in reference to having sex. Much later in the Bible, when King David sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, a different word was used for the same physical act. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, it says that David lay with her. Lay with who? Lay with Bathsheba. He lay with her. Although David knew Bathsheba was another man's wife, he lusted after her and he lay with her and the consequences were horrendous. Why? Because sex is a special gift reserved for the boundaries or uh, the limitations of marriage. That's what God gave it to us for as a gift within the marriage relationship. It's a special gift. Sex isn't just a momentary pleasure, it's a special gift from God. Which brings us to number two, sex is a sacred act. It's a sacred act. If you have your Bibles here, and in fact, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the, back, in the front of the pew there, in the back of the pew, a, a pew Bible, and I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to look at this for yourself even. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 20. And in this passage... I want you to notice what God says about the sacredness of sex through the writing of the Apostle Paul. Look what he writes, beginning in 1 Corinthians 6, there in verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18, Paul writes, Flee now sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I don't have time to go into all the implications and meaning of these verses, but let me just say these verses don't give us any room to treat sex lightly. Sex is more than just hooking up for a moment of casual pleasure. When two people have sex, whether they are married or not, the Bible says they literally become one flesh. That's how powerful and sacred sex is. Sex is not to be treated lightly because it's an expression of our deepest human commitment and therefore should be, there it should be a holiness in awe about it. So, God's will about sex is a special gift. Number two, we've already seen God's will is sex is a sacred act. But I want us to focus a little more in detail on the third one here. Sex is a serious responsibility. It's a serious responsibility. In a world that has all but forgotten the meaning of the word responsibility, God insists that sex is a serious responsibility. If you would, I'd like for you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and see what God has to say about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. And notice what God says, again, through the writing of the Apostle Paul. Notice what it says, beginning in verse 3. 
he writes, for this is the will of God. It doesn't get any more clear than that, does it? Want to know what God's will is for your life in the area of sex? Here it is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That just means your your set-apart lifestyle. And he says now, following, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but who? Who? God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, Paul lays out God's will for us with three basic commands each introduced with this word that, you may have recognized it already, that you should, that each of you should, that no one should. And so first we see that God's will is that all of us abstain from sexual immorality. That is our first responsibility with the gift of sex that God has given to humanity. Abstain means to avoid, means to keep away, have nothing to do with, to be distant from. In other words, we're to keep our distance from sexual immorality. Paul's already explained this in Ephesians chapter 5. It stresses personal responsibility along with the benefits that will result in keeping this responsibility because it's a walk that pleases God. In today's moral crisis... Some people might say that's such a black and white standard. Man, that's too radical. God, have you looked around our culture today lately? This is too radical. It's even impossible. After all, in certain situations, if people love each other and they use precautions, then what's the harm of having sex? But God's word does not merely say, be careful, or if you love one another, it's okay. He says, abstain. Why? Because my gift of sex to humanity is given for the boundaries of marriage. If we wish to please God in our walk as now Christ followers, then we must take this command seriously. This means in spite of the culture of our day, and even the lifestyle of our past, God's will is that each of us abstain from sexual immorality. Notice the second thing that Paul says. He says, God's will is that each of you exercise control over your body. This is our second responsibility in the area of sexuality. And we really have two choices. We can learn to control our bodies, or we can allow our sex drive to control our lives and be slaves to our lust. Exercising control over your body involves understanding what weakens your self-control what strengthens it, as well as admitting the temptations you can't handle and avoiding those enticing situations. Listen, no one remains pure by accident. I don't care how godly you think you are or how godly I think I am. None of us remain pure by accident. Abstaining from sexual immorality means aggressively building protective walls against lust long before we have the opportunity to fulfill those lusts. In fact, I would encourage you, 
at some point this afternoon to read this article here. It's in your bulletin. It says, Porn, Marriage, and Our Lackluster Sex Lives. Now, what's interesting about this article, which I think you'll find interesting, it's not written by a man, it's actually written by a woman. You say, a woman, what would she know about porn? Because she got caught up into it. But her life has now been radically changed by the grace of God. She's a Christ follower. And she's simply writing about her past before Christ. It's a great read. I encourage both men and women to read it. And then God's will. Paul also states here that God's will is that you don't wrong or defraud another person sexually. Basically, he says, now this is our third responsibility in the area of sex. In other words, don't take advantage of someone else for your own sexual fulfillment. What he means here, if I can say it this way, don't plunder someone's purity. Don't wrong another person by sleeping with his or her wife or his or her husband, I should say. His wife, her husband. My tongue got caught up in the culture. (laughs) Don't cheat your wife by dreaming of another man, women. Men don't, or, or, uh, or, uh, yeah, men don't cheat your wife by dreaming of another woman. See, I'm really tongue-tied here. (laughs) Don't defraud your husband by flirting with other men on Facebook. Don't dishonor the person by fantasizing about them. Why? Because sexual purity is the loving way to treat others. So, the first walk here is to walk in wisdom. It's all about knowing and doing God's will. And what is God's will about sex? Sex is a special gift reserved for marriage. Sex is a sacred act, so don't treat it lightly. And sex is a serious responsibility. Answering God's wake-up call not only demands that we walk in this wisdom, it's God's wisdom, but number two, that we walk in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit, a new way to relate to one another. Now, Paul expresses a remarkable expectation in this next section of Ephesians. Look what he writes in verse 18. This verse is amazing. Look what he says in verse 18 here. It's in your notes or look in your Bibles. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. He says, don't get drunk on wine that leads to reckless living. Instead, walk in the spirit that leads to godly living. Paul, what he's doing, he's drawing a contrast between behavior that characterizes the unbelieving world and behavior that should characterize God's children. God's children, he says, are not to drink to excess. To the point of getting drunk. Why? Because just as it did in Paul's day, and it still does now, being drunk, what does it do? It lowers your inhibitions. It lowers your resistance to sin, which often then leads to debauchery and immoral living. And Paul says, don't go there. Drunkenness and debauchery. Uh, These were characteristics of the lifestyle in which many of these Ephesian believers were saved from. Paul's writing to these Christians at this church in Ephesus. 
And many of these people, their past before they came from Christ was characterized by immoral living, debauchery, drunkenness, which led to it. And they were saved out of that. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Isn't that the awesome grace of God? And listen, that doesn't just happen in Paul's day. That still happens today. I mean, many of you could raise your hand and testify, man, that is my testimony. My life used to be that way. And God has saved me out of that destructive lifestyle. And so now Paul comes to us, and just like he did the Ephesians, he says, listen, don't don't live like your past. Don't get caught up into drunkenness and be drunk on wine, which leads to that former way of life. Instead, do what? Be filled with the Spirit. And so you can understand why Paul now writes these words. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting. The Spirit. We've heard of the Spirit, this little term here, quite often already in several passages we've read. Paul's already told us that we are sealed by the Spirit at the moment of salvation in the first chapter of Ephesians. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we must not grieve the spirit that indwells us in which we are sealed by. And now he tells us to be filled with the spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? Well, the play on words is rather striking by Paul. For just as someone filled with wine is under its influence, Paul is saying, listen, we... As children of light, as dearly beloved children, we should be under the influence of who? The Holy Spirit. In other words, you could say Paul wants to charge us with L-U-I. You know what L-U-I stands for? How many know what? Living under the influence. Living under the influence. We all need to be charged with living under the influence, not of alcohol, but living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does this mean? Well, it's the idea of surrendering ourselves to the Spirit so that we are now controlled by the Spirit. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Folks, listen. Before Christ, what does our lust of our flesh always want to fulfill? The lust of our flesh, right? Self-gratification. And when we get saved, we still struggle with that. You say, well, how do I battle my lust of my old nature? Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. I'm telling you what, the key to all our relationships, the key to love, sex, and marriage, God's way is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's right in the middle of the passage here of Ephesians chapter 5. There's 33 verses. And verse 18 is about the Spirit. The Spirit's key to everything He writes before, and the Holy Spirit is key to all the relationships that He's going to write after this, which is about relationships with one another, relationships in marriage, relationships in the home, relationships at work. And the key to all those relationships is being under 
the influence of the Spirit. Without the Spirit's power, we cannot accomplish what Paul's writing to us. We will revert back to our previous lifestyle. But thankfully, when we're saved, what does God give us? He gives us the Holy Spirit. What God calls us to do, He gives us the power to do. We're without excuse. We just have to submit. We have to yield ourselves, surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that's to be and live more like Christ, especially in the way we relate to one another. Think about it. When people are drunk, how do most people relate to one another when they're drunk? Not always. I know it's not always. I'm generalizing this. Well, when people are drunk, most of the time, they can, either, they can be belligerent, they can be rude, selfish, sensual. The focus is on them. And when their sensual, selfish needs aren't met, they lash out. Not all the time. It's not always characteristic. But when people are under the influence of the Spirit, get this, it positively impacts how we relate to one another. This is why spirit-filled living is so critical in our relationships. In fact, in verses 19 through 21, Paul goes on to describe the characteristics or the results of walking in the spirit when he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now, we don't have time to go into detail of what all this means, so let me just highlight it for us, and we'll go through this quickly. But spirit-filled Christ followers will do three things. Three results will happen out of our lives. First of all, we will encourage one another to grow in Christ. The purpose here of speaking and singing to one another is to encourage each of us to grow in our relationship with Christ. And this could be done corporately, like what we do here on Sunday mornings, and it can be done personally, like what we do in small groups, or even what you do one-on-one. Paul sheds light on this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So let me ask you a question in application of love, sex, and marriage. What's your goal when it comes to your relationships with one another? And especially with the opposite sex. What's your goal? As Christ followers, our goal should be to encourage each other's spiritual growth. To encourage them to grow in Christ. So here's another question to consider. Whether you're single here today, single again, or currently married. Is this relationship that I am in... Is it helping or hindering this person from becoming more like Christ? Listen, that's a great question for us to ask, whether single or married. Let me challenge you to make it your goal to help one another to grow in Christ. Number two, second, spirit-filled Christ followers will give thanks always for all things to God the Father. Paul's already talked about thankfulness, gratitude earlier in the chapter 5. 
Thankfulness is the opposite of grumbling and complaining. But a person who is characterized by gratitude now bows before God's sovereign goodness in all things, even when they may not be able to understand what in the world is God doing with my life right now. God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. Why am I still single? Why did this happen? Why did my husband cheat on me? Why did my spouse, why did she act this way? Why, 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 why? And we don't understand God's purpose. And yet, a person who's characterized by gratitude through the power of the Holy Spirit bows before God's sovereign goodness in all things. This means a spirit-filled Christ follower gives thanks for the gift of singleness. And yes, it is a gift. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're single here this morning, whether single once or single again, or widowed, whatever the case may be, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Singleness is a gift from God. And so whether God has given you the gift of singleness or, in his grace, he's also, maybe he's given you the gift of marriage. Are you giving thanks for it? I'm afraid too many of us grumble and complain about the gift that God has given to us. If we're single, we complain about that. If we're married, we complain about our marriage. And in particular, the one we're married to. And we wish we could trade spots. That person's married. I wish I was them. That person's married and they want to be single now. And we complain about either gift. So let me ask you, if you're single here this morning, when's the last time you gave thanks to God for his gift of singleness? And if you're married here this morning, when's the last time you gave thanks for his gift of marriage as well as the person you're married to? Number three, number third one, is to submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we'll talk more about submission in the in in the these remaining messages, but what Paul's doing, he is setting us up for further relationships, specifically within marriage, and then he goes on in chapter six within uh, in relationship to kids, to parents, and even later on in chapter six to slaves to their masters, which an application for us today would be uh, employees to their employers. All right, but for now he introduces this idea of submission. And it's for everyone. Let's focus on the idea that we must all set aside our rights and serve one another in love. In other words, the spirit-filled Christ follower realizes that this life is not all about me. But it's about being and serving others. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3-4, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So, you see three things. When the Holy Spirit is in our, when we're being filled, in other words, when we're being controlled, when we're surrendering, these are the three results the characteristics that should be characterizing our lives. So answering God's wake-up call starts by walking in wisdom, and it continues by walking in the Spirit. And then number three, we find here, lastly, walk in purity. 
walk in purity, a new way to attract the opposite sex. Now, one of the first things we discovered in the beginning of this series is that the culture's models is almost completely based on what? Physical attraction, right? Therefore, it's no surprise that the culture's way to attract the opposite sex is through sex appeal. All you got to do is watch the commercials on TV, right? How do most companies sell their products? Through sex appeal. How do most magazines and tabloids in the grocery store sell their magazines? Through sex. All right? So, again, we're, we're all familiar with this. This cultural belief that love grows out of looks must be radically challenged by us as Christ followers. And God gives us a compelling alternative to mere physical attraction as the basis upon which we can establish relationships with the opposite sex. And it's called purity, folks. Walking in purity. Now, this way, God's way, may sound at first very old-fashioned. But let me tell you, it's very effective for establishing what we really want. Loving, lasting relationships. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice what it says in verses 1 and 7. In verse 1 it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And then in verse 7, he says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness or purity. In other words, God calls us to walk in purity. And then notice what God says in 1 Peter 3, 3-4. This is in your notes. He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, what does it mean, practically speaking, to walk in purity? Well, let me offer you three ways to walk in purity this morning. First of all, number one, develop inward character. Develop inward character. God's approach to attracting the opposite sex is radical because it offers inward character as an alternative to mere external beauty. And this, of course, brings us back to the very first step in God's model. The issue isn't about finding the right person. It's all about what? Becoming the right person. And the way you become the right person for somebody in marriage, if that's God's will for your life, is by focusing on inward character. You may not believe it now, but inward character will be more attractive in the long run than anything you could do for yourself externally. So, teens, especially younger people, let me encourage you to focus on your inward character. Develop it. Let God shape it in you as you submit to His Word and His will. Number two, develop outward modesty. Going back to God's principle in 1 Peter 3, 3, he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Wendy Shallot. Wendy Shallot is a 20-something college student. And she echoes the same words as Peter here in her book, A Return to Modesty. In her book, she catalogs the fallout among a generation of young adults who have exchanged 
exchanged sex as easily as their parents shook hands. She says, sex on campus is often about as personal as two airplanes refueling. In fact, the custom is called hooking up. And through her book, she challenges our culture to mourn something beautiful that's being lost between the sexes. And it's called the loss of modesty. Wendy has the audacity to call young women of this culture, of our culture today, to return to modesty in their dress, modesty in their behavior, in the mystery of sexuality, where some things are kept special and private and meaningful and reserved for marriage. And we need more women who will join Wendy in answering God's wake-up call to develop outward modesty. Remember, please remember this, externals are a clear and compelling reflection of the internals. This is not a style issue that I'm talking about. This is not a style issue that Peter's talking about here. This is a heart issue that he's talking about. And, you know, and I don't have girls. God didn't bless me with daughters. He chose to give me two boys instead. But you know what? My heart goes out to some of you parents that have girls, daughters, in this culture of ours. And when you go shopping for them, it, it's probably very difficult to find clothing that is just like... They want to dress them like they're 23 and going clubbing. And so it's work. It's a challenge. It is work. But parents, don't give up on it. If you're a single mom, don't give up on it. And teens, let me encourage you, man. God will bless you for living out modesty. And I know you'll be set apart in your culture at school. And that's all right. That's not a bad thing. So parents... Grandparents, encourage it. Encourage modesty. Number three, develop upward devotion. Develop upward devotion. Know how refreshing it is to meet someone who's already living out the third step of God's plan. Fixing their hope on God and seeking to please Him. If you want a building a lasting relationship, it takes more than a nice hairdo, a buff body, and a great tan. Because those things quickly fade and they're rather superficial. But when you meet a person with upward devotion, like I did with my wife, in fact, when I met Darla, listen, although she is beautiful in my eyes, still to this day, I tell her that. She's my babe. Although she's beautiful in my eyes, listen, what attracted me most to the point I wanted to marry her was not her physical beauty, it was her upward devotion and inward beauty. That's what outlast physical beauty. When you meet a person with upward devotion, you realize they have substance, they have character, and a beauty that won't fade with time. Now, before we close, this isn't in your notes, but it's coming up on the screen. I want to give you a key principle for attracting the opposite sex. Look at this. You will attract the same kind of person you project or advertise yourself to be. You will pro- attract the same kind of person you project or advertise yourself to be. So let me ask you a question here. What kind of person do I want to attract? 
And is this the kind of person you are projecting or advertising yourself to be? The world's strategy is to advertise externally and extravagantly. But those seeking to please God, listen, will walk in purity and develop a lifestyle of inward character, outward modesty, and upward devotion. And so whether you're here this morning, whether you're married or single, let me encourage you to answer God's wake-up call when it comes to love, sex, and marriage. Let's pray. Before we pray, you know, we've been talking a lot about love, sex, and relationships from God's perspective. And what it really comes down to is a choice. You have a choice. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your creator, God, or are you going to listen to our culture? Who are you going to stand with? Are you going to stand with God, or are you going to stand with the world? And it really comes down to that choice, a choice of answering God's wake-up call, answering his invitation to lasting, loving relationships. So this morning, as the praise team sings once chorus, One verse, will you choose to walk in a way that pleases God and become a light in the darkness by modeling purity and love in your relationships? As they sing, let me encourage you to go to God in prayer. Recommit your life to Him. If you're single, recommit to doing relationships His way. If you're married, recommit to having an open heart as Paul now talks to us as married people in these next three sermons. Thank you.